0: Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast. This is the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To learn about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompoundinggazette.com. That's focuscompoundinggazette.com, and enter your email. Once you enter your email, you'll start getting one free 2,000-word stock right up a week. Andrew and I also manage accounts for clients. To learn more about our managed accounts, email andrew at info at focuscompounding.com. Or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. And now here's Andrew with your regularly scheduled podcast.
1: All right. We are back. Focus Compounding podcast. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. Thank you so much for tuning in with us, whether you are on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube. If you're not following me on Twitter, what are you doing? At Focus Compound. Please follow me. Jeff, tell them your Twitter. Uh, My Twitter is also at Focus Compound. That's right. Because Andrew does Twitter for us. That's right. Jeff doesn't do social media, which is great. So be sure to uh, follow me, tweeting out stuff every single day. A lot of people like it, and it's a great way to interact with me um, if you want to ask questions or um, whatever. I'm on Twitter. So today we're going to be talking about banks. And you have a lot okay. of experience analyzing banks. I have some, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I think it would be good to go over. I don't know if we've ever talked directly about banks or like dedicated a, a whole a podcast, podcast to it. We did a podcast on
0: Frost, I think.
1: Yeah, it was, it was okay. on Frost, and we had... Nate Tobik on who yeah. um, wrote the bank, the bank investor handbook
0: yeah and does uh, complete bank data yep so yeah. that's
1: what he does so he's a great source if you want to learn about banks and definitely check out his book on Amazon mm-hmm. use the focus compound discount code <laughs> there's no discount code um, <laughs> um, so, it's yeah. bank investors handbook right yeah bank investors yeah. handbook so let's uh, let's talk about banks so you've looked at Frost uh, Bank of Hawaii did you write up Bank of Hawaii for single diligence yes yeah,
0: so the ones I wrote up were Bank of Hawaii Frost Prosperity Bank, um, Commerce Bank shares. There's a lot of companies called Commerce, but that's the one in St. Louis that we wrote up. And um, there was also probably one other one. Uh, oh, BOK Financial. Oh, BOK so BOK that's BOK. Bank of Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Mm. So, what, um, first of all, do you even like screen for banks or how do you typically, nope. is it like on a book value basis or return nope. on the assets or how do you come across banks? Uh,
0: all of those were found through. Um, Basically, they were peers of other banks. Got it. So, what we would do for the singular diligence reports uh, is that we always had five peers. And I suggest this for people like just looking at any kind of company. You find a bunch of peers for that company, and um, you'll really learn about the business. You'll really learn about the business. You'll also know if this stock is just cheap. specifically this one stock he found or the whole group. And yeah. we found the whole group was cheap. Yeah. So basically regional banks are cheap. Um, and so, like, for instance, we looked at Frost, but we saw that uh, the other big bank in Texas is Prosperity. Uh, Frost and Prosperity are the two biggest banks headquartered in Texas, uh, in terms of market share in Texas,, uh, they're obviously you know Bank of uh, you know uh, Bank of America and Chase and all those also have a big market share here. Yeah, but uh, those are the two biggest ones that are headquartered here. And then Bank of Oklahoma also has business in Texas, but it's just across the border. And Bank of Oklahoma is also a big energy lender, and Frost is a big energy lender. So yeah. we researched their uh, energy loan portfolio and that took us to look at both of those., uh, there's a bunch of things about Bank of Hawaii that are similar to Frost. Uh, what's what's similar about it oh uh, because I mean
1: like Bank of Hawaii obviously is, is, so is they both why uh,
0: have about half of their business or, or meaningful part of their business is sort of a branded business with a lot of ATMs and stuff serving households but then they also have a lot of the bigger companies in their state bank with them yeah so they have a significant commercial part of their business um so like um, fairly large businesses that are texas based do a lot of business with Frost. often they're they're a, uh, customer mm-hmm. and the same thing's true in, in uh, Hawaii um, Bank of Hawaii is pretty big with uh, Hawaii based businesses, so they're both pretty big commercial banks, yeah
1: what do you like or like what do you look for specifically when you do look at a bank?
0: so most of those uh really all of those banks were uh, low uh, total cost of funding, mm-hmm. so what we look at is their the cost of their uh, deposits. Uh, In terms of both the interest costs they're likely to pay on it, and then the non-interest expense. So you take the non-interest expense and the uh, interest expense together. You divide by the amount of deposits they have out, and that gives you the cost of funding. Mm -hmm. And so, um, like, Frost has a pretty low cost of funding. So, for instance... uh, There's probably a little lower than Wells Fargo, actually. We have a graph in there showing that we would say that their cost of funding is lower than Wells in every year for the last 25 years or so. How can they get
1: lower funding than, like, Wells Fargo? Uh,
0: Well, one... Because they're not as big Commercial. Okay. So that tends to be that that companies that bank with you, uh, that tends to be the cheapest way to get funds um, by having fairly large relationships with... um, businesses in mm-hmm. your state yeah um and then the other way to do it is um with uh, very few branches and a lot of deposits per branch that's a really big one deposits per branch is very important in having a low cost of funding mm-hmm. so there's different economies of scales at a bank um to be honest being a huge bank may help you in terms of like revenue uh, synergies right and like your lending and stuff like that But I would say, like, uh, people overestimate. For instance, so, you know, there are banks, obviously, uh, Wells and banks like that, that are tend to, to, you know, um, well, tend to maybe... 50 times bigger almost than frost. So frost is a 20 some um, uh, billion dollar asset bank. Uh, But the economies of scale, once you're that big, aren't that great. So being, uh, going from 200 million in assets to 2 billion in assets to 20 billion assets, those are big jumps that mean a lot. Sure. But going from 20 billion to 200 billion doesn't help you a lot in terms of having a lower cost of funding. Uh, But the things that do matter a great deal are uh, like the amount of deposits you have at one branch. Got it. So I, in fact, mentioned on our watch list, a bank that has like, um, it's a one bank, uh, one branch bank, and it has like maybe $400 million in deposits. Um, and it also has a wealth management arm and things like that. So
1: it'll have very low
0: cost of uh, funding.
1: Yeah. Got it, got it. One thing that I thought was interesting in the Bank Investor's Handbook mm-hmm. um, by Nate Tobik, he was talking about consolidation, I guess, in the smaller bank industry and how there's a lot of acquisitions. Yes, we know that. Um, Why is that?
0: Uh, One is uh, what I just said, the synergies. Mm -hmm. So um, very small banks merge all the time.
1: And these are like banks like under, what, 100 million market cap if they're public? Like very, very small. Yeah.
0: So they basically don't create any economic value. So I mentioned one that's very small, $100 million market cap that's on the watch list. That one is just has one branch and has both a wealth management arm and is a private bank. Yeah. So they're actually earning a very good return on equity, like 18% or something recently. Uh-huh. So um, that's really good. But the banks that Nate is talking about often are earning like 5%, 6 7% returns on, on equity even in a pretty good year. Um, overall, you have to remember that banking generally is a very bad business. Why is that? Uh, It doesn't really earn its cost of capital, really. So, I mean, if we think of cost of capital in terms of the common uh, stock needs to earn like 10% or something to get you a good return – uh, so you need to have like a 10% return on equity to get you a good return in the stock the banks that we're talking about have very high returns on equity over time like like the two examples Frost and Bank of Hawaii yeah, have tremendously high returns on tangible uh, equity in a normal interest rate environment some of them don't have great returns on equity in today's interest rate environment or the one that was you know just a few years ago because the rates are so low so if they're making money off of a spread that way then that might not be good but um, the, the very small banks generally have very low returns and that's because they aren't really differentiated from other banks they don't have particular low costs of funding then all you have all the um economies of scale that that they're too small and so everything costs them more mm-hmm. uh, and they're just less efficient that way um so you know because of that they're just they're very inefficient the reason they exist so why does something that earns a low return on equity, stay in business. Yeah, That happens when it's hard to compete away business from someone else. So like we looked at the MRO industry, which is maintenance repair and operations or maintenance repair and overhaul. Uh, and there's lots of tiny firms in that, that barely earn their cost of capital or don't really create value, but they still exist. And that's because the retention rate in that business is really high. Usually, um, companies don't sort of eliminate vendors in that. So once you have someone supplying you, you tend not to get rid of them. Same thing in banks. So if you're a customer of a really small bank... yeah. You tend to stick with them, sure. even if they don't have an app that's as good as Bank of America yeah, yeah. and Chase. Uh, if even if like they charge you, you a little bit or, more. Yeah, sure. uh, all those things. And because of that, they aren't as good a business as the big banks, but they stay in business because there's not a way to be competed it's out like of business brand in that loyalty way. In a way. Right. Yeah. But in other industries, like, say, if we were talking about uh, steel or something, if you went to their customers and offered a lower price per pound, right, then you would take their business from them. Yeah, it's, but it's hard to do that in banking, yeah, so they sure. still exist. The yeah. same thing happens in insurance and stuff, there's some very inefficient small insurance operations that continue to exist until someone acquires them. Yeah, And the reason why the acquisitions happen is then you can plug that into your system Mm -hmm. and you can make money. So like Prosperity in Texas does a lot of acquisitions. Frost does barely any acquisitions. Prosperity does a ton of them. And what they do is they acquire a company, they take their deposits, right, is what they want, and, but they immediately get rid of as much of their loan book as possible. Uh, and then usually they save money by just cutting expenses at the branches they take over and also having much lower loan losses because they don't make as many bad loans as the the bank that they acquire.
1: But really they just want the branch with the deposits. Mm. That's the only thing they're really acquiring. Sure, there. that's interesting. So out of all the stocks that you wrote up for Singular Diligence yeah. that we spoke about in the beginning, why did you end up personally buying Frost? Like what was it that stood out to you about Frost um, as opposed to the other banks?
0: Uh, Frost was one of the most interest rate sensitive companies that we wrote up. So we wrote up Progressive, which is an insurer.
1: Yeah and
0: frost and they're the two most interest rate sensitive so at the time interest rates were very low the fed funds rate was very low i should say and so uh we figured that they would make a lot more money if the fed funds rate went up and at some point the fed funds rate would go up yeah and then um you know the other thing is that i like uh the culture and stuff at frost better than at any so how did you measure the culture there
1: Not like Wells Fargo? or
0: Uh, Well, I thought they were very um, (laughs) focused on growing customers over time, growing the relationships with the customers they had, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not a low – it could have lower costs than it does. I don't think – they're not like prosperity. They're not obsessed with having – cutting every expense at the bank and stuff. But um, I thought that they would grow over time with their customers, which they have for a long time. So like deposits per share – Uh, which is a very important number at a bank. Mm -hmm. So in the very long run, if you own a bank stock, what you want to see is that the deposits – Um, Per branch which which is how you actually value the company. Yeah, so deposits per share is really how you would value the company in the long run And deposits per branch uh, so deposits per branch is sort of like your same store sales, you know long term and um, Deposits per share is really what creates the economic value that you would want to make money off Just like at an insurer you might want to see premiums per share going up I'm talking long term and they have to be good quality Obviously anyone can grow deposits by just paying a lot to get in a lot of time money and stuff. Yeah Um, and uh, with premiums and insurer, you could obviously just you know uh write at very high loss rates and stuff and get a lot of business but i'm talking about long term having a lot of business at a low rate that you're paying out and mm-hmm. Frost frosted a lot of
1: non-interest uh bearing accounts and stuff like that so did you value the other businesses or the other banks as well from mm-hmm. deposits per share yeah and then did you just do like a comp on that or yeah Got it. Yeah, and, and Frost was cheap in terms of deposits. See, so what's sure. interesting is whenever I see people do some sort of analysis on a bank, it's usually like in relation to book value or like yeah. earnings or something. It's never like should, I've never once seen anybody do a. You should deposit. listen to Warren Buffett talk about it. What does he say? He talks about deposits. And for, he's right. Yeah. Like, for instance, he talks about the fact about like
0: equity. Why does a bank need a lot of equity? Like, they asked about Wells or Bank of America. Yeah. If a bank has a very high return on equity for regulatory reasons, it has to have equity. But the truth is, and I've invested in insurers that have problems too, the truth is if the core business has a very high return on equity, it can quickly earn back any equity hole that it has. Mm-hmm. Whereas a bank that has a very low return on equity, while it might be capitalized appropriately for regulators, will have a problem that it's not earning enough. Um, And we saw that actually uh, talking about I wrote up Farmer Mac a while ago. Farmer Mac, high return on equity always. And so they had a problem where they lost money on Lehman and um, Freddie uh, preferred and, and investments and stuff that they made under a former management. In the financial crisis, had nothing to do with their core business, right? Yeah. Well, you saw their book value went to nothing when that happened. They had to write it off. But then, how quickly their book value shot back up in a few years? Mm -hmm. That's what happens with a bank or something that has a bunch of loans go bad. If it's making a lot of money, it can grow back out of that with no problem. Sure. That can't happen with a bank that earns a low return on equity. Mm -hmm. It just can't happen. So yeah, you look at the deposits, and but you have to look at the quality of it. Is this cost do these deposits cost a lot less than other ways of getting money? And so they have to be really low cost. So, yeah, deposits per share are great to value a bank. But you would need to know what kind of banks you want to own by knowing uh, how low cost those deposits are. Mm-hmm. So, like, Wells has very low cost deposits. Everything that Buffett owns, all the banks that he owns, all have very, very low costs of
1: funding. So Wells, Bank of America, things like that. How do you think about interest rates when it comes to banks and banking in general?
0: Yeah. Um, I figure that they'll be at a long-term average over time. Um, there it's a, when interest rates don't look good for the bank to earn money now is a good time I would say to buy the bank. Yeah. So, um, that's the only reason why I think frost was cheap is because it was valued at, I mean, they're also energy, the energy sector also turned down and it was a Texas bank. So people probably, especially outside Texas and stuff, did that worry got, you that no.
1: it, it, it being an energy company? <laughs> no I mean like the the bank being tied to the energy industry no
0: about 16% of loans at the peak were probably energy loans yeah and only about half their portfolio was um, loans the other half was bonds that they own mostly state of Texas bonds mm. uh, Texas has an unusual uh, system in the state so we tend to have the safest municipal bonds because we have a fund in the state that a Texas school fund that um, acts sort of like a bond insurer yeah but it has much higher capital uh, amounts of capital than actual bond insurers, so it's much safer. So uh, actually barons I think wrote it up at some point, but if some of the safest municipal bonds you can find are in texas and uh that's what they would buy uh frost when they couldn't make loans mm-hmm. you know they didn't want to make loans because what would happen is their deposits would grow faster than their loans so no it didn't worry me so about eight percent of the bank was exposed to energy and um i wasn't that worried they were they were you know lending against pr- producing wells and things like that mm-hmm. so you know you could look at it and and decide it wasn't gonna be gonna a big problem yeah they could have a year where they wrote off enough that they earn nothing, yeah. but it doesn't matter that much if a bank earns nothing for one year as long as the next year it's back to earning a normal amount. That's sort of what Buffett talked about with Wells mm-hmm. in the early 90s in California. You know, it's the long-term earning power that matters. Yeah, you might have to write off a lot in energy once every 20 years or something because sure. of a cycle, but that's not a big deal, no.
1: Got it. And then, I'm kind of curious, have you ever analyzed an investment bank? Or like, okay, or or like the bigger banks that have an investment bank in ARM?
0: Uh, basically, no. I mean, yes, I have analyzed banks that also did investment yeah. banking, yeah. But uh, investment banks in general, nothing Here's say. the issue. So, uh, Frost, uh-huh. about – I'll use Frost as an example. The other banks uh, are a little less uh, extreme example of this. But so Frost, when I looked at it, was probably 89 90% funded by um, customer deposits. And uh, the rest was basically uh, – Stockholder equity. Yeah. Okay. So it borrowed less than one percent or something from other banks, from um, money that was from you know preferred stock, uh, things like that. So like any sort of wholesale funding. Uh, the issue with a bank is usually uh, would I want to be so concerned about the asset position of the bank? Um, I'd be concerned with the funding. That's what matters to me. So I said like, I don't care as much about the capital as uh, as regulators do. That's true. What I care deeply about is how they're funding themselves in terms of how short-term the money is, how hot the money is Mm -hmm. that it might be pulled, and things like that. And so uh, households and businesses in Texas are not going to abandon you even in the middle of a financial crisis. What are they going to do? Take out all their money and put it under the mattress? Sure, yeah. Right? But who will is anyone that you do business with who also will have problems so the reason why you don't want to invest in something, or why i don't want to invest in something like lehman is not just that lehman might make mistakes with assets but that lehman might actually be borrowing from goldman yeah. and
1: morgan Yeah like a margin call or something and
0: they might well no not even that yeah that they might decide oh we're seeing problems and if Lehman is doing even riskier stuff than we're doing yeah. and we know how much we have problems, yeah. then we better take our money out right now. Sure. you know. And people know those sorts of things. And they know that. I mean, for example, with Frost, Frost knows that to some extent because they act as a correspondent bank for a lot of banks in Texas. So they often would have information about how stressed some banks would be, right? Mm-hmm. You don't. I would not want to rely on funding from other banks. I would not want to rely on funding from a lot of sources like that. Uh, to be honest, like in terms of the politics of it and stuff, people always talk about the fact that you've combined investment banks with commercial banks and yeah. things like that. <laughs> but the truth is, by not having investment banks funded by commercial banks, it would be even riskier the investment banks because of how they be getting where they be getting their money from. What happened in the financial crisis is more and more. Parts of the US financial system relied more and more on short term money. Um, And so you had a thing, like I said, that Frost was relying on basically no, uh, like wholesale, what I would call like wholesale funding. Uh, It was almost all customer deposits and then shareholder money, right? Mm -hmm. By my estimate, at the time that the financial crisis really hit, if you count like the US banking system, probably a lot of banks were getting almost half their money from sources that i would say are not customers so you want all your money from either shareholders which is permanent common stock shareholders common shareholders which is permanent capital right or from retail customers and, and i mean really retail customers as in uh businesses that use this as like a transaction account like checking accounts and things like that and 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 um households i even don't like to see that you're mostly funded by um municipalities by um things like that i wouldn't want that to be a huge number it's okay if it's a little number but um any of those sorts of things worry me um and you see that that's true with anything where you have to rely on that kind of money i I don't know if you've seen in um, the uk where they have a fund manager who had to um freeze his fund You know what I'm talking about? Oh, is this because of... <laughs> illiquid stocks, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's but, like a thirty billion dollar fund right, that just right. came out last week, I think. Okay, yeah. so he had illiquid stocks, and everyone's blaming on the fact that he had illiquid stocks. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But the real reason is he held illiquid stocks while being an open ended fund. Exactly. So if you're so an open end much. mutual, and then worse yeah. than that, he had brought in a lot of money recently. Right? It was like
1: I mean, like thirty billion, right? Right, forty billion. But how yeah. much money
0: he brought in recently, and how much of it was sourced from some sort of institution? Yeah, institutions are not reliable sources of funding. Sure. And recently acquired clients yeah. are not very reliable as compared to clients you've had for a really long time. Sure. And then you're investing in illiquid stocks and so they're you know they're chasing performance and all those sorts of things. Yeah. You know, the first relationship that you're gonna cut back on is the most recent one you have. If you've had a banking relationship for twenty years, that's the last bank you're gonna pull money from. Mm-hmm. But if you just extended money to someone, um, that's the first thing that you're gonna yeah. pull from. So you want to rely on a lot of different households and businesses. Um, that use it for transaction accounts and things. That's your. That's their general fund that they
1: use. Uh, day-to-day for operations and things like that. So that's I mean, that's what you're talking about when you say stay away from hot money at banks.
0: Yeah, I'm really concerned about the funding sources. Yeah. Really, really concerned. That's what matters to me. I spend a lot of time thinking about the liabilities. To me, the, the value in a bank is on the liability side. The economic asset of a bank is the accounting liability. So it's how low cost is the funding and how stable is the funding. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we get into like the financial crisis, talking about that, a bunch of companies were relying on um, essentially money that would that uh, they would have to potentially the, their money that they were only being given for up to like a week or so. So yeah. they were basically relying on money markets, right? Mm-hmm. And you had things like GE and stuff did that. And that's why they ran into problems because they were funding themselves that way because that was lower cost than funding yourself longer term. See, this doesn't matter now as we're talking now, the yield curve is very flat. So you could fund yourself either for short term, you could fund yourself either, you know, for this week or for the next Two years at pretty close to the same uh, cost, yeah. but if you go back to the earlier 2000s that wasn't true, and so you could make a little bit more money by funding yourself from really really short periods of time, but then you have refinancing risk that you have to keep doing this mm-hmm. you know and so so that 's where I see the insolvency risk banks and things like that is your liabilities are not um, stable that way, but that 's what's true when we look at like um, industrial companies right when we look at operating businesses i talk a lot about the fact that i would rather see a company borrowing you know a thirty-year bond or something um, doesn't concern me the same way that a loan that has to be refinanced next year for a hundred percent of it has to be refinanced next year that worries me more because something goes wrong with the business the stock declines and stuff that suddenly become a very expensive way of financing yourself whereas a loan that's you know spaced out uh, over a long period of time similar to like how people listening to this might have a mortgage or something mm-hmm. is a very easy way to finance yourself sure. but having a mortgage that the bank could call up at any time and say we need you to pay it off entirely yeah uh, that wouldn't be a very safe way of of living no, and so you not. wouldn't do that yeah. But there are companies that do that all the time. And they can make a little more money by doing that more and more. And that's what happened in the financial crisis. You know, from the early 2000s till the time it hit – uh, you can see so many companies were doing a little bit more shortening, even more exposing themselves to more refinancing risk and exposing themselves more to taking in money from people who weren't uh, customers, who aren't
1: reliable sources of, of funding. So then if you had to break it down the three things, right, that you look yeah. for in a bank, it would be um, the type of funding, mm-hmm. the deposits, yeah, and then what? Okay, so it's all deposits. Price to deposits? Yep is the
0: value part of it mm-hmm. okay uh growth is what is your growth in deposits quality is is it low cost funding and is it stable the type of the yeah. type of funding mm-hmm. that it is but it's all based for for a bank for me it's 100 percent all based on the deposits and the truth is some of the banks that i have invested in frost for example mm-hmm. not the best lenders in the world their their returns on their portfolio and stuff are not as good as wells if they did what wells did uh, over the years, they would make more money. Hmm. But you can afford to not take the biggest risks and to do the smartest things in lending if your your deposit base is really uh, high quality, really low cost. Sure, uh, It grows over time. It's fine. I mean, money is basically a commodity. So if you have the lowest cost, it's like having a copper mine that has the lowest cost of pulling a pound of copper out of the ground uh, in the world. Mm-hmm. If you have that, then if you're not very good at selling your copper and if you're not that great at transporting it at the lowest possible cost to where it needs to be sold and all that, that's okay. Yeah. You still have the lowest cost, it's fine. Um, so you can afford to make a lot of other mistakes. You can be afford to not be the most efficient there is if you get the deposit part of it right. And so every bank that I would invest in would be um, really big on the deposit side of it. That's totally different than how some people approach it. You know, read Nate's book. Yeah. Um, I know that he's invested in things and talked, and a lot, of, most value investors don't, to have the approach that i have when it comes to banks
1: yeah i was gonna say i haven't really yeah. seen too many write-ups like some that. do yeah but and his, and his um nate's book is good if you just want to learn about like the history of banking and how banks came to mm-hmm. be and how to even like start a bank yourself so it really goes like into yeah it goes into detail
0: i'd say most buy investors use price to book
1: yeah that's what i've seen i've, yeah. I've, I've always seen it um Either it's like an earning space on the income statement, mm-hmm. or it's some sort of price to book. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The reason why I wouldn't use price to book is to be honest. As far as I can tell, and I did some research on this, and I've since read some papers that discuss this. Um, the truth is that U.S. banks, and this is probably even more true in other parts of the world, but certainly U.S. banks since like World War II or so have probably not earned their cost of capital. You know, as a whole sector. Certainly, uh-huh. most of the smaller banks and stuff haven't. So if they get taken out, that's great, and you make your money back. But you can't expect in banking, unless you have a good bank, you know. unless you're a Bank of America, unless you're a Wells, unless you're someone that's earning high returns on equity, Yeah, the average bank you can't expect is going to return as much as the stock market over time. It's going to return worse because its cost of funding is too high. You can see this by looking at them. Their cost of funding is just very high compared to other sorts of businesses. And so um, – it's not free money and stuff. I mean, Berkshire funds itself at a much lower cost, mm-hmm. by ha- I mean, negative cost by having a combined ratio under 100. So there's plenty of insurers who have lower costs than small banks do. Most big insurers have much lower costs of funds than
1: small banks. And for return on assets, yeah. and that's a measure that you like to, to sure. look at in yeah. banks, how do you think about that?
0: Well, a higher return on assets is good. And what's good? Well, that's hard to say. I mean, right now, if it's between 1% and 2%, it would be good. Um, you'd want to be... Uh, closer to two than one, probably at the moment. depends on how quickly something's repriced with the increased rates in the last few years. It would be not the end of the world if you had close to one, but you benefited from rising rates i would guess mm-hmm. but if you uh are likely to only be making like a one percent return on assets even with pretty high rates that's a problem you want to look very long term because of the cyclicality of rates because sure. like i said it's like a commodity yeah if you were analyzing an oil company you would want to see okay what were they making when oil was uh forty dollars a barrel what were they making when it was a hundred dollars a barrel and you know really look at it, not
1: just like pick one year yeah same thing with with banks depending on the interest rates yeah cool Cool. Well, I think that's a good place to stop in today's podcast and video. If you are joining us at YouTube, be sure to hit that thumbs up button and subscribe. That will allow you to get a notification every time we post a video. Um, also, if you're on the podcast side and you want to help Jeff and myself out, feel free to give us a rating and review. It spreads the word. If you like free content, mm-hmm. free is good. Go to Focus Compounding Gazette. Dot com. That's all in the show notes or in the about me on YouTube and you'll see links to all that and that's all free content I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with us. We'll see you in the next podcast. Take care
0: Hey, this is Jeff Gannon and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast The podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts To learn about specific stocks I like go to com. That's com, and enter your email Once you enter your email, you'll start getting one free 2,000 word stock right up a week Andrew and I also manage accounts for clients. To learn more about our managed accounts, email andrew at info at or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. Thanks for listening.